0: football? Bloody hell. Corn, sugar, and On the show tonight, we've got Body and two Mr. Ricky Hyatt. And it's a welcome back to Paul Thorpe. Dave Pryor's here. I'm going to sneak in occasionally. And Tom Bailey. So settle down and let's dissect the weekend's football.
1: And good evening everybody and welcome to another edition of Football...
0: Bloody hell. Yes, it's
1: Monday evening again when we review all the weekend's fixtures and that first voice, as always, on a Monday, Aidy Hopper is here. Of course he's here. How you doing,
0: Aid? I'm fine, mate. I had a satisfactory uh, afternoon yesterday.
1: You did, did you?
0: Yeah, Excellent. quite satisfactory.
1: Excellent. Tom Good. Bailey's here. How you doing, Tom?
2: Good evening. I'm, um, yeah, I'm here i didn't not i did not have as good an evening as as mr hopper
1: what about rick hyatt did you have a good evening he's here
3: please nostradamus if you don't mind (laughs) after being bullied last week by you two (laughs) you had a a very pleasant afternoon thank you very much bit stressful i was a bit concerned that that one of the 34 shots would have gone in, or that somebody would have slipped on Virgil van Dijk's tears. But neither of these things happened,
1: so it was a lovely afternoon. And also, <laughs> joining the debate this evening, the hot topic oh, on she... such a boring game, it's Mr Paul Thorpe completing the set. How are you doing, Thorpey? I'm all right.
4: This is just back from Cardiff, by a British Rail, who was trying to make me late, but uh, finally got through the door about ten minutes ago. You so, might wish, um, Thorpey, the way that to I go. Think this is...
1: The way this podcast is going to go, you might wish you're still on the M5, I think. I
4: would praise round and even more. <laughs> Dear me. They were, they, they were as, as big a shambles as the uh, the Derby game. But well, uh, I'm you know sure what, we'll it? get on to that. I'm sure we'll get on to that. You're absolutely <laughs> you
1: right. Win. We will come on to that. But instead of talking about that nil-nil, let's talk about another one. Let's oh. talk about the one that involved... The green and whites of Yeovil Town on Saturday afternoon, nil-nil in another top of the table clash. First against third this time, Yeovil against Hemel. Um, Yeovil against Hemel. Yeovil against Hampton and Richmond, finishing in a no-score draw. Myself and Rick were there in the commentary box, but Tom, I'll start with you because you were in the stands. Um, what did you make of it? um in the terraces because first of all one of the things that rick and i picked picked up quite early on was that there did seem to be a lack of atmosphere in the ground pretty much from start to finish and you know i'm not not digging the the fans out on that it just seemed to epitomize how the whole afternoon went really and that was that it was just a, the whole thing seemed a little bit flat
2: yeah those was, there was a lack of everything in that game There was a lack of atmosphere a lack of quality on the field um, like a positivity as well, generally among at least the fans where I was sat. Well, I mean, I wasn't too far away from you guys. Um, yeah, it was a really tough watch for both teams. Hampton, you could tell, kind of arrived with the intention of a draw and they played it to perfection. Yeovil probably played a better game than Liverpool did, which again we'll touch on later, but it's
1: gone early there.
2: It was on it. Oh, don't get me started. Yeovil were. All right. Um, They definitely were a bit slow. And I don't know if maybe the occasion of being back at Hewish Park for the first time in a month kind of got to them. But at the same time, people saying that this is a shambles and we need to get rid of half our team and we need all this stuff. I think we need to put it into a, a bit of perspective. We're seven points clear at the top of the table. We've just drawn to third place who haven't lost since we beat them two months ago they beat Southend at the weekend on penalties who we beat in normal time. Hampton and Richmond are a good side. They've got some really good players in there. I don't think we can be too disappointed with a draw. We're now three unbeaten. Sure. Two of them are draws, but one of them was away to a great Dartford side and we looked really dangerous going forward. And we did the opposite this time. We looked really good defensively, but just a bit toothless going forward. So I just don't think there's anything to worry about. It was just a bit of a flat game.
1: Yeah. Rick, you were there with me. Um, on comms and i hope listener that the uh commentary was able to provide you with some sort of uh, entertainment for the afternoon because unfortunately the game certainly didn't um rick i asked you before the game on saturday whether or not um haven't uh, why do i keep calling them haven't and waterlooville it is hampton and richmond they were maybe that was the problem i just should have been having and waterlooville we might have got a different result but They haven't played for for two weeks or so. And I said to you, would that equal fresh or rustiness? And I think maybe we got our answer possibly, although it was a good defensive display. They grew into it,
3: I think, is the kindest thing you can can say about it. I mean, uh, I've had feedback from the commentary on Saturday. I bumped into someone yesterday who said that there were long pauses in it and that was because nothing was happening. So, we uh, inevitably, there were pauses because there was nothing to talk about. It was two teams, I think, that were both happy with a point, neither wanted to lose, and neither was prepared to go out and actually grab the game by the scruff of the neck
1: and win it. So, that's pretty much what we had to talk about for an hour and a half. Yeah, there's only so many times that you could say, and day goes to Smith. As Smith goes to Worthington, and Worthington back to Smith. It's gone back today. Yeah, it it very much felt like it was a little bit like that. Um, Thorpe, in terms of the actual overall picture, like Tom was referencing, at the end of the day, it's a point still unbeaten uh, at home, I think I'm right in saying, and seven points clear at the top of the table. And you might look back at this, there's a point against a team that are going to be in and around it.
4: Yeah, obviously, like um, you know, Yeovil are up there, forty-seven points. Uh, Hampton Richmond, thirty-nine, um, after twenty-two games. You know, so yeah, I, I get, I get the make, <clears throat> make sure we don't lose bit, but you you need to entertain the home crowd. You need to attack these teams, and uh, and I think that Yeovil Town have got enough in their locker to be able to, to unlock these teams. You know, the squad was good enough to be set out. You had the pace of Fisher coming on. Um, later on, to try and unravel the um, the back line. So there's enough in our squad now to um, to be confident enough at home, especially after our, our results, and uh, and, uh, and and get a positive one. But I do get a bit that where where both these teams don't want to lose, um, especially could happen to Richmond. You lose that one, and then all of a sudden the gap opens even further. They keep it tight and say, right, we'll take this take this game out of the equation. Are we good enough in the rest of it? And their form so far seems to to dictate that it is.
1: AD, I'll throw it to you. I'm sure that there's been times when you've been in and around the club, when you've been in their successful period, that even when you know you look at the conference-winning side and when they've gone up through the Football League, even despite those um, successes come the end of the season, you still get games like this along the way.
0: Yeah, inevitably, you do, I think. I think what what the game needed was, was Colin Pluck to go through their star striker in the first three or four minutes, my plucky had been there and done that. Then you'd have got your atmosphere. Yeah. But, but as as for the game itself, um, you know, it, it begs the question: Did the what was the what was the effect of having 14 games uh, on the trot wins? You know, had we got to the point where we just naturally assume, well, if we've gone 14, we've got to carry on for the rest of the season now. Which clearly we wouldn't have had them, but uh, I just wonder whether that's had a sort of detrimental effect a little bit, and and the, the crowd needs stirring right from the start to get the to get the whole thing going, if you see what I mean.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we we we. I think you touched on it last week when we were talking about the run of wins that the Oval had. That you've seen it with other teams that when they go on a run of wins. Then the next results after you've got that draw or first defeat, it does then seem to stumble along a little bit until mm. you start to get it, exactly. to get it right again.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, Thorpe, have you have you been? You must have been involved in in teams previously where you've gone on long winning runs, and then once <coughs> you do get that first defeat. You then get a little bit of you get a few weeks of just trying to find your feet again, and then you can pick it back up again.
0: Can you explain to Thorpe what a win is? Because of course he didn't experience many of them in his career. Oh, I did I absolutely <laughs> did? And uh, you little so and so.
4: No, I just think I just think it shows it, you need to show a bit more character. Luckily, I didn't go on a, on a, after a big long winning run. Uh, I didn't suffer too many of like long periods, and um you had
1: you had more wins than the rest of us, thing.
4: <laughs> exactly, yeah, but I just think you need to show that character, and I think that this is where the character comes through um of yesteryear, if you know what I mean, a little bit more than it does now, That's nothing against the players who are playing. I just think that we it, it, it seemed to me that on the pitch we had more characters, if you know what I mean, and um you know like Jimmy Quinn. He'd have done exactly what you said about Plucky, like, or in you a know, Marsy lot. Like, you know, he'd have gone through somebody and, and rattled it up because the game's too boring. Where was we that need your to sort... game as well? Sorry?
1: Was that your game as well, getting early?
4: Well, l- listen, well, back in my day, you you won the war, as a centre-half, you won the war or you lost the war. It's as simple as that. And, uh, and, it, and to me, it was an extremely physical game. Not even as physical as what it was 10, 15, 20 years before that. So the game's evolved into this uh, uh, game as we've got now, but you know it's a really, really physical game uh, for those that play. It up normally a big centre half, you know, or if it wasn't, it was down working the, the channels. But you know it was it was um, a constant higher temper. It, it, I felt than, than, than sometimes the games I see now. But in the, in amongst those, you're going to get a few dull ones. No, you know, no two ways about it. And um, uh, you just have to you just have to put up with it a little bit, but. It's a little bit more disappointing for me at home, knowing Yeovil as I
1: do. Tom, in terms of the bigger picture, um, we've got quite a lot of fixtures sort of in, in quick succession over the over the festive period. So obviously, with the uh, they've got Eastbourne coming up, and then obviously the back to backs yeah. against Taunton. Um, see where see where Yeovil are still sat come the the second of January, because yeah. we've seen with. Um, the results as well. That every time Yeovil don't quite get maximum points, there does seem to always be a team in and around them that doesn't get a full maximum either. The the only thing to look out for maybe is Torquay suddenly on the march and yes. suddenly look like that they're in more of a position where the bookies at least thought that they were going to be.
4: Well, listen. All I'd say is, if at the start of the season, if you'd have said to to everybody. Um, would you like to be seven points clear after 22 games running into the Christmas period? Would you take it now? And I think that that's, um, that's a big question. Torquay are finding their feet. And I think we all knew that he would, you know, he's he's had a long battle for a few years of getting that club to where he wanted to and getting the right type of structure there. And I think he's finding his feet and, and we have to watch Torquay big time. So, We'll put this, bed, they put this Hampton and Richmond, because they are in third, let's give them their credit, put it to bed. But now we really need to start a search, showing some metal again. And the next game is Eastbourne. They're yeah. in the bottom four. We do not need another slip-up uh, like we did at Welling. That's all i say. That's not acceptable at this stage in the season with the current squad we have. That needs to be an absolute Stonewall winner.
1: A little foot in the opposition campaign. Obviously, you've um, you've got that relationship with Gary Johnson. And you spoke to him before we played him in the uh, FA Trophy game, I think it was, that you you spoke to him. And things certainly felt that it was a lot different surrounding talkie at that point. But you know Gary well, and you, certainly you would have had no doubt that uh, he was able to get them back into the position where they are now. Have you spoken to him at all recently?
0: No, I haven't actually, not, not since the last time, but... Um... Yeah, of course he's got the ability to do it, and he he knows what he's doing. He knows he's been around, and, and let's be honest, this is a a relatively low position, league-wise that mm. than Gary's ever been in. I think I, I think I'm right in saying that. So so consequently, yeah. um, I, I'm sure that he's got enough guile and expertise and man management skills to be able to get Torquay, you know, really going. And clearly they are, and he's doing it at the moment, isn't he? Um, so yes, um, but you know I I, I can't re- remember many times where you know we we've sort of faltered in the whenever whenever Yeovil when I was there was we in a position to win some, they generally did put it that way. So uh, and that that's a, again that's a, a credit to Gary Johnson's management.
1: Yeah, Rick, final point on on the the Yeovil game: the fact that we've just touched on that it has been a sort of a Stuttering sort of month so far, December um, for Yeovil Town, but they're still in a very healthy position. And certainly, when you look at the table and the teams in and around them, they can certainly take comfort with where they still find themselves.
3: Absolutely, I think the thing that's uh, hit Yeovil a little bit is is the draws, rather than having wins. You know, you're dropping you're dropping two points, obviously, as we all know, for a draw. But when you get two or three draws. Together, you don't see yourself jumping up the table. You look at Torquay's recent form; they've got four wins on the bounce, and all of a sudden, that takes a big leap up the table. And you had just stuttered a little bit since the run came to came to an end. So you just got to win a couple of games back to back, and all of a sudden, you maintain that that lead, and it's not getting whittled down. And the confidence is back, and and you get back to back to winning ways. I think it's just a couple of wins. Back, like I say, back to back, better momentum, and then uh, it should all be right. It's, it's, it's like you said before, though. It's it's a case of at the end of the season, this period
1: will have been forgotten
3: if ultimately the reward is is what you want it to be.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like you referenced in in commentary on Saturday, even if you've all I'm were, to you. yeah, where uh, I I was because uh, there was nothing else to watch, was there on the pitch? <laughs> It wasn't a <laughs> choice. But, just, uh, um, it was. But if they were to relinquish any sort of lead going into the second half of the season, and they look back and they win the league by a point, then you just say yeah. happy
3: days, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. It is. Uh, we don't know. We as as the season goes on, you you feel the highs and the lows, but you don't actually know until the end of the season, ultimately, what that effect on the situation is. And until you know that, you don't know. You, you tend to get it out of perspective because everybody likes winning, don't they?
4: Um, yeah, I just uh, want to reiterate another little point, you know, say to sort of like back up what I was saying about the Eastbourne game, it's a must-win. You know, straight after that, you've got, uh, you've got on, the, on the 26th of December, you've got a, a massive game, Taunton Town. I know they're in 16th place, I believe, but it's a massive local derby now. And then, you know, you've got the 31st of December, you've got Taunton Town away. Not easy to go. You know, I know it's pre-season games, but we, you know, we struggled down there. Twice we struggled down there. You know, then you've got a massive game again, Bath City, and then you got they're in eighth place. Averley, you got after that, they're in sixth place. Um, and then you go to Hammer which is not an easy place to go to either. So it, th- this run of games is, I can't express how important this part of the season is. Not be- just because of the amount of games you're having in such a short space of time, but how massive those actual gains are as regards to local derbies and teams in decent positions to be able to, to cause the Oval uh, a real upset. And it's not the time to be having a bad run.
1: Yep. And of course, you can still join in to Three Valleys Radio's coverage over the festive period as we will be bringing you live commentary of the game up at Eastbourne on Saturday. Um, Before we do get into the Premier League, I just want to quickly reference the fact that there was European draws today. I'm sure that you would have seen it. Tom, I will start with you. English representation in the Champions League. Um, Arsenal, Porto and Copenhagen, Man City. And it doesn't look like, from what you were saying to me earlier, that you're particularly surprised for that particular draw. Can you elaborate?
2: I don't think any of us were particularly surprised by... Particularly the Man City draw, it feels like, and I'm not saying there's a bias, when you or an it, agenda, or there's an agenda. Tom, but Tom, do you think that there have been hot balls in play? I I can't discuss hot balls. I, I that's a that's an off podcast. Particularly discussion. as it was
1: John Terry who was handling the supposedly hot balls.
2: <laughs> John Terry loves balls. No, um, I think... your title. I yeah,
3: the draw. Did he have his kit on?
2: Or was he uh, yeah. casual? <laughs> He was suited and booted. Ah, the accused. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just mighty convenient that City have got the easiest draw again. And again, not saying there's an agenda.
0: Funny you should say that, because I was thinking exactly the same thing.
2: I think a lot of people share that view. It's funny, isn't it? Hold um, on to
1: that, listener, because I have a feeling it might be the only thing that we all agree on tonight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hot balls, you mean?
2: We're in for a bumpy ride.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, you would imagine then, based on that, Tom, straightforward for the English <laughs> up until the quarterfinals.
2: Oh, yeah. And and Porto seemed to collapse at any sight of an English side. So Arsenal would be straight through as well. I also think, generally, Arsenal are the better team in that tie as well there aren't really too many sort of neutral ties I think the only one I can think of was the Inter Milan Atletico Madrid one that'll be an interesting tie other than that though I think I could pretty much well I can't I don't have the ties in front of me but if I had to pick I, there's probably so oh here we go he's got them on the screen for me so Arsenal will beat. hang on hold the back up
1: oh you're right yeah we, could, can, we you can read my writing so backwards can you
2: yeah no it's forwards. it's beautiful so Arsenal will beat Porto um I actually think Napoli will get the better of Barca Uh, PSG will beat Real Sociedad Uh, Inter Atletico is the one I think could be an interesting one Um, Dortmund will beat PSV Bayern will beat Lazio, City will beat Copenhagen and Real will beat Leipzig so there's only one that that bit you don't know I say, get your money on now then
1: As you can see um, not a listener obviously but to the panel that uh, I had a very busy day at work today (laughs) shooting into all the European draws considering that I didn't really have a horse in that particular race yet. So, uh, yeah, I've had a very productive day. Evening, boss. (laughs) (laughs) Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Right then, shall we do it? Shall we talk about the Premier League? And even though it was last on Match of the Day 2, I think it has to be first on Football Bloody Hell because I think we just need to get through it, have it out and move on, is uh, how I would best describe it. So... Let's talk Anfield. Let's talk Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil. Who on earth do I go for first? Does anybody want to volunteer and go first with their thoughts? Thorpey, you're normally quick with an opinion. Do you want to go first on this? And bearing in mind, it's probably going to get lively. So I'm going to give us 10 minutes on this and no more. You have the floor.
4: Well, I just think it was so, so disappointing after it being wound up in the social media, you know, and wound up on the papers and on TV, what a massive game this is. And it was just a damp squid, wasn't it? It really, really was. It was so disappointing. Although I will say, I think there was a little bit of a, you know, possibility of a handball when Shaw's arm um, was in a slightly wider position than it should have been. But maybe I'm just being a little bit biased and I can see Rick's
0: putting clutching his hand at straws, over his face mate. now. Clutching at straws.
4: I think I think maybe last season, maybe the season before, that would have definitely been a penalty. Uh, I think I am clutching at straws. It just just maybe needed an early goal to get this game going. And again, you know, Manchester United, I think, were defensively a lot more assured than they were. And I actually quite liked the way their back line looked. Um, and I thought they played really well. Um, Keeper made some good saves when uh, headers were put straight at him. Did his job. And I just don't think Liverpool... I think they were a little bit one-dimensional for the game. I think they just kept on putting crosses in, crosses, and expecting something to happen. And it didn't. And I was a little bit disappointed because I was, in fact, looking forward to today. And I feel that I'm just going to get hammered a little bit now. <laughs> um, but let me see Rick's face. Let me see his... Uh, Yes, he's definitely I think he, I think looking he's, forward
1: to it. Yeah, I think he's thinking <laughs> about. I think he's thinking about a measured um, response. Which one of you United boys? Want to counter that before I go to another Liverpool one? Rick or ady Who wants to take it next? Rick's, Rick's far up
0: more. Rick, now, Rick's far more um, articulate on a thing like this.
1: Well, you've been volunteered, Rick. <laughs> it's your go. Don't know what to what to say.
3: It's funny that. Going into anybody who listened to the pod last week will uh, will have a good idea of my expectation. Sometimes it pays off to sit on the fence, doesn't it, Rick? You're a bully, Pryor. You are bloody tomboy, mate. Bullying me, you were. It was unusual for you to sit on the fence. <laughs> that was that was the best I could hope for, and that is that is what United got. And saying about it being a boring game. When you're watching a game and you're desperately hanging on to uh, a nil-nil scoreline, and you know that that is
1: the best you're going to get out of
3: it, it, I, it was quite it was quite exciting. Uh, I think.
1: Was uh, it exhausting, Rick? Like yeah, I know what you mean sorry. when you have those games. You're like, yeah. You are like she imply me. Do you feel like you played about 120 minutes watching that? Really, are living every every minute. Yeah.
3: It was. Yeah, especially when you when you're playing against 12. You know, that doesn't make things any easier. Now, I know you could, you could argue that Michael Oliver didn't influence the, uh, the score of the match, the end, end result. But if that is our number one official in this country, then the game is in serious, serious trouble. He's either incredibly biased, and uh, I won't use other words to describe that performance, or he's incompetent. And he's, what he's, Rick, what do you that? actually think he did wrong? He's inconsistent. Nobody can argue that Dallo's reaction deserved a red card. Okay, but uh-huh. if that stemmed from Michael Oliver getting a decision wrong in the first place, so if he got that decision right, then the situation wouldn't have arisen. But also, when there's the situation with Nunez in the first half, where he could have an incident where he could have picked up three yellow cards and got away with one, and then oh, the clapping? The Later on in the game, Dallow gets two yellow cards for what was potentially, possibly two different reactions. I
1: did think Nunes was, um, was lucky with the, the the clap. I'd forgotten about that, actually, but I remember yeah. thinking at the time, don't it. do that, don't do that. No, I'm,
3: not, I'm not arguing about Dallow's red card. He deserved a red card. It was stupid. But having said that, it was the United throw-in that caused it, which is Michael Oliver's error, OK? But if you're going to first of all, um, elbow someone in the chest like Nunez did, then kick the ball into the net with dissent, and then sarcastically applaud the referee, you'd think that two of those would be picked up by the referee. And also, in the Dallow situation, if you're going to go down that road and you're going to be that pernickety, Salah deserves a yellow card in that situation as well for waving an imaginary yellow card When Dallow was showing dissent. So you either punish everybody or nobody. That's my, that's my gripe with it. I don't have an issue with him being sent off. His behavior warranted it, but you just want consistency. Um, Michael Oliver isn't somebody that gives you that. And I just think he's a burk.
1: I only laughed when I was talking to you earlier because I think it was, I think it might have been the last pod we did. And I think you said something along the lines of, You stopped yourself and you said, I'm not going to say that there was, I'm not going to complain against the referee because that would be childish, I believe was your words. Um, If you you follow Rick on social media, I'm sure you'll enjoy that picture of um, Michael Oliver dressed in a Liverpool kit.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, quite rightly, quite (laughs) rightly so. And as for, do you know what? The most entertaining thing about the whole uh, day was Roy Keane absolutely wincing. Van Disney after the after the game when he came out. Let's don't forget, Liverpool are a team as I know you boys are Liverpool fans, and you know you're enjoying your moment or whatever. And this is probably more a reflection on what Abu Dhabi have done. But this is a team that's won one title in 33 seasons, and that's got an asterisk next to it. So to come and be Billy Big Potatoes and have a go at United,
1: you haven't won an awful lot yourselves, there, lads. Do so you not you... think? Do you not think? this whole if the game didn't go as it did and there was hardly anything involved in it and if it wasn't any if there's anybody else than Roy Keane in the studio I don't think hardly anyone's talking about what he said I feel like it's like I understand the the point of view of oh maybe it's showing a bit of arrogance now because Liverpool was saying oh yeah Man United are going to come here and they're going to try and park the bus etc etc but I don't think he said anything that made me think that's not what everyone knew was happening United were happy with the, the point. That was... That's what happened. I, yeah. think, I think it's the fact that because of the result last season
3: and everybody was fearing the worst and United played in a very pragmatic, you'd call it pragmatic, dull, measured, whatever you want to do. Basically, they came there and they did a job. And I know Tom said, oh, you're going to turn up and you're going to play like Burnley. If that's all you can do, when you've got 10 first-team players out injured and you've got, an mm. on, you've got a low knee and an 18-year-old in midfield, You get the best out of any fixture that you can get. And that's what they did. And just because they didn't play open and let old Van Dijk and his mates go and score 15 or 16, you had 34 shots. We had 34 opportunities to score a goal. So just score seven goals.
1: It felt felt to me that Kino was rattled because I think, from from my perspective, it, it feels as though that even though Keane said Man United are in a bad place at the moment, I think deep down Keeno still thinks Man United should be going to places and smashing teams three 0 I think he still feels that that that's United's DNA. That's what should happen, and I think that's why he kind of just went, "Oh well, I'll just get in your lane because we're Manchester United, and we're Manchester United isn't really. I don't know what that means anymore.
3: It's 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 gone from being a brag to being almost yeah." To be ashamed of. But then again, if you're owned by the Glazers since 2005, this is what will happen. But I think that Kino's mindset is he's always been used to winning. He's, he's put on a United shirt and he's, and he's won games and he finds it difficult to comprehend people not having that same attitude and not going out and doing the same thing. But it's like he said, when, when United were on top, they would go to Anfield and, and get a point and be happy with it and nobody would rinse them like they just have done. The way people have seen this United team play this season with the resources they've got, to come away to be the only team in the Premier League so far to go to Anfield and not be beaten, surely you deserve a bit of credit rather than being criticised for not playing open and, and getting this is exactly what Liverpool did when they went to the Etihad. But that's a tactical masterclass because it's Kloppo the clown. It's you know, you've got to remember what you're dealing with and what you've got. And you play the cards you dealt, and that's United that's the maximum they could they could have won it. They could have nicked it at the end and that's
1: not yeah. their fault that Liverpool score. Thorpey I see you've got your hand up but before so, I just want to bring Tom and Aidy in because I want them to have a little say on this Tom I want to come on to you next just to counter Rick and your Liverpool lane and then we'll get to Aidy Tom what are, you, what are your thoughts on the on the overall game uh, the overall well
2: picture? well you know we've had 10 minutes so I don't think we need to hear from me I think Thorpey <laughs> can just have his point and we could move on to be honest um, but United, as Rick has said, and as I said before the podcast, it was a pathetic lineup and a pathetic defensive performance that was well worked, and they did a very good job. I am, I'm cheesed off at that, but I'm pissed off at Liverpool because that was pathetic. That was absolutely pathetic. That's there was not, not
3: a, um, people. Liverpool supporters, rather than getting out of the pram and van, going like Van Dyke and having a go at United, ought to look at themselves because. They didn't exploit.
2: We were rubbish. We were rubbish. It was pathetic. There was not a single good Liverpool performance in there other than Alisson, because when he was called upon, he actually did his job. Trent did not learn that after 70 minutes of crosses, doing another 20 minutes of crosses directly onto Rafael Varane's head is going to get you nowhere. Uh, Salah had a particularly poor performance, so I'm very happy I captained him. Uh, Schobesly was ineffective, and his replacement Curtis Jones was even worse. What was name again? Was... Dominic Schobesly. Oh, I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Of course, I should have. Um, I should have remembered that
2: one. Burke was terrible before he came off injured. So that's another wonderful injury for us. Uh, not that we're in an injury crisis. Of course, there are many people that have it much worse off than us. Um, just crap. Nunes this podcast was...
1: has really worn you down, hasn't it?
2: <laughs> I, I was not looking forward to this since that since that final whistle blew. I was like, I don't want to do it tomorrow. I might call in ill. So just... i pop you... off
4: and have a little sleep myself. Nunez was terrible.
2: terrible. Diaz was absent because no one found him. Simicast was all right, I suppose, but it was just rubbish. Absolute rubbish from us. Well, look and... on that
1: on that thought, Tom. Let let me bring Adian because I I'm I feel on a similar lines to you in, in terms of. Age, the first thing you said before we we got started was it was a brilliant defensive display. And I don't I don't doubt that you defended well. But what I would say is I didn't look at it and think, oh, Man United were clearing off the line and Nana had a really good game and they were defensively fantastic. It felt like that it just we couldn't we just couldn't get any of our forward playing. And I don't think what I'm trying to say is I don't think you needed to defend that well in order to come out with a clean sheet. Would that not be fair?
0: well possibly but let's 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 just look at it in isolation a minute i mean united are in a bad place at the moment they're totally inconsistent you you don't know what you're going to get each game they start. one minute is absolute rubbish against Bournemouth, and then we played really well defensively against Liverpool. and with a bit of luck, we could have won because first of yeah. all um our garnaccio could have had a i mean if if Trent Alexander Gordon hadn't got his um, no, that's the newscaster, isn't it? Um, what's his name? Trent Alexander-Arnold. Alexander Arnold. Arnold, that's the boy.
1: Just stick with Trent, mate. You'd have been fine. Don't yeah. help him, David. Don't <laughs> I
0: anyway, I thought Trent was a, a river, but um, yeah. Anyway, if he hadn't just managed to touch the ball away, Garnacho probably would have scored, and and equally, um, it took a really good save from Allison against. Um, um, oh, Hoyland. Yeah. So you know we could have won, we didn't, but we could have won. And I thought we played really well. I thought the energy that that um, um, Amrabat had. I mean, he never stopped running. I wouldn't say that some of his passing was great, but he he kept going. He kept going all the time. And I thought that was impressive. I thought uh Kobe was was really impressive for an eighteen-year-old. He did a, a hell of a job Kobe in midfield. Funny. I thought, and. Uh, So, you know, at the end of the day, United came out of there and I think they deserve a bit of praise for what they've done, having been through such a difficult period. And all these talk about, you know, dressing room discontent and one thing or another. No, you know, they did all right. Don't knock them. I mean, they're not going to win the league. We know that. We're not getting aspirations above our, our station. But on that particular day, we were the better team. End of story.
1: Thorpe, you, I see you've still got your hand up there. So, do you just want to round this off before we move on just, to other things?
4: I, I think that the analysis of, of what you've actually said, especially Tom with his analysis of, of his team, I think is absolutely spot on. I also do agree with Rick a little bit. The, you know, the thing that Liverpool—that listen, Liverpool—the home team. We knew that. We knew that with the situation with with Man United's squad, you know, the difficulties that they've had as a club. You know that that they. This is a time to possibly park the bus, and if you want to call it that, I actually don't think. Is I've I've been in games where you needed to defend, you know, for your lives to get a result. You know, and and on certain days you can do do that. Liverpool had six hundred and seven passes against two hundred and ninety three. Right, they had eighty four percent pass accuracy and sixty nine percent of the possession. Thirty four shots, but. Now let's get to the butt. Only eight on target. Simply not good enough for a Liverpool team. Not good enough for, for a Man United side of the past. So actually, actually, you know, the one-dimensional thing that I was on about, you know, 12 corners Liverpool had to, to Manchester United's nil. They needed to be give something different. You know, if that, that was a Manchester City side, he would have changed his tactics... Gone down the side, tried to get the byline, pulled it back, maybe or maybe set up play a little bit different and kept the ball a little bit more instead of just constantly whipping in. Listen, you can whip in a hundred crosses if you want, if the quality isn't there, and the quality of your second man running and your actual like headers on goal, you are not going to win a game. And quite frankly, you know it 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 wasn't good enough, even if it was. That close, you know, and then and then literally, you know, as Liverpool fans, you're shouting for a handball that your hope's going to be given, but you're you know, it's not, you know, because you're frustrated and watching your home team.
1: That's the thing, Toby, isn't it? That you just never know, don't you? So you think, oh, they might look at it because you just don't know. They might look at it. I looked
4: at it. I went, no handball, like you know it was. And then all of a sudden, I looked at it in in the slow mo because it always looked worse in the slow mo. I went, actually, his arm is a little bit higher than it should be, but. Absolutely right decision, no handball. Absolutely. But I do get it. You know, listen, if, if that's the way Manchester United need to get their team going, brilliant. Do it. They did it. So tough shit, yet, Liverpool. Get on with it and get back to your winning ways. Well, if they do that,
1: they will be top of Christmas.
4: Rick? Just, just two little points.
3: Uh First of all, I don't think that Manchester United going to Liverpool and parking the bus... Actually, turned out to be that good an idea based on the behaviour of the Liverpool fans before the match to the Manchester United bus and also, how can you add seven thousand extra fans into a ground and it get quieter?
4: Yeah, actually, maybe it was just a weekend for uh, quiet fans because well, that's what town, that's
1: what I thought. I thought it it was quite parallels Tom to what we were saying about the Oval match. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was kind of well, indicative of up and down the country
2: first couple of minutes were solid decent when the crowd. speakers were on Tom. that's when the speakers <laughs> were on
3: when they sing
2: that song after the whistle had blown <laughs> um, first couple of minutes was alright but then it just died it, yeah it was a flat atmosphere flat game what I want to say as well quickly is um, with the handball um, there was not one but three handball calls missed I felt um, there was two full of there was also one for United that I also felt was a handball not penalties. There were free kicks, sort of in the middle of the field. But there were definitely three instances where it hit the hand. And if they're playing again by the law, I could be wrong. I, of my understanding, is that if it touches your hand, regardless of intent or regardless of positioning, is a handball. There but were, were three instances. By Michael Oliver's rules. So who knows what's going to happen? Exactly. But yeah, I think both teams were hard done by by the referee. United more so with the Dallow decision, but. um yeah, three humble calls missed, just and one of them directly in front of him as well. Shambolic, um, just a terrible game. And I hope we never talk about it again, right? Let's
3: talk about something that makes Tom smile. Yeah,
1: on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> let's have some, some jokes. Okay,
1: I guess that if we want to talk about something unanimous, then we're gonna to have to go to the Etihad and talk about Manchester City 2, Crystal Palace 2. um Tom, I'll stick with you because I asked you on the preview pod on Wednesday whether or not you felt Palace could do something because Palace, um, they've got a pretty good recent record against City. You didn't think you could see it, but hey, 95 minutes. I don't think there was any doubt at all about this penalty, was there? He completely wiped them out. Yay, he did. I think it was close. Did you say yay?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you have cheered up. I'm, I'm very pleased that Dave was correct on that one. Um, it was a, I think it was a close call, but I do think it was the right call. I don't have Um, an
1: opinion in Remba, I just asked the question. (laughs)
2: Um, yeah, I think City, that's two points dropped as opposed to two points earned for, well, one point earned for Palace, um, as they were in complete cruise control, to be honest, from, at least from the highlights I've seen, um, yeah, Palace, did well. I mean, Mateta did really well to get past Ake for the first goal. Really poor defending from him, I expect. Not that it matters, but I, expect, I would have expected better from Ake. Um, but yeah, Mateta, really good finish from him. And yeah, a penalty to put the cherry on the cake for everyone that is not a City fan. Uh, it all means nothing because they're still going to win the league by five points. But it's just nice to see them struggle while they can.
1: Nice to see a Desmond there as well, Dave. It was, it was. It was a nice way to end the Oval match as we were going through the scores yeah. and saw that little Desmond come through. What did you think then, Rick? I mean, like Tom's just referenced there, just that, as we, we will touch on obviously all the games, but is there still a feeling with how the challenges are looking at the moment that you still wouldn't be surprised if, like Tom says, unfortunately City might just still end up with having a, at least a five-point cushion come May? I don't care.
3: Like most things about Manchester City now, just Jen, I've become anaesthetized to it because it's, it's got zero credibility. Doesn't matter. Perse- the person that I was, I'm just very, very pleased to see Tom smiling then. And the other person I was pleased to see smiling on Saturday was Roy Hodgson. After, after the mood he was in last weekend after being robbed of a deserved victory, to get a point like that. Have you seen that picture of uh, Pep? Being all cross, (laughs) smiling in front of them. That's that's the highlight of the weekend for me. I think Palace deserved it. They've they've been devastated by injuries. No no one as much as Jason Tindall's lot, but they have uh, suffered an awful lot of injuries. And to come away with that point is amazing. Well played, Palace.
1: I'm going to move on to to other games already because we only got around about 15 minutes or so to sandwich everything else. So <laughs> Thorpe. Um, elsewhere on Saturday, uh, Chelsea were getting a, it was a comfortable two 0 win over Sheffield United. I think we were all struggling on Wednesday to see how this one was going to go because every time you have Chelsea down as a banker, it still never quite works out that way, and <coughs> it was probably as routine as it gets.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. I just think the uh, the shining light in is Palmer in in their side at the moment. Um, I thought he was, was outstanding. His finish was clinical. And, um, yeah, I think yeah, overall, I just think that it's a yeah, pretty standard 2-0 win against the very average Sheffield United side.
0: It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that Palmer... All right, he cost a bit. Was it 40-odd grand, I think? I'm right in saying. 40-odd uh, comp- million.
1: Always million. Remember million. Always eight. million now. Not yeah. right, grand.
0: Whatever. Compared to some of the prices that he paid for some of the other players... Who are not performing?
4: It's it's kind of ironic, really. Well, he's come from good good uh, stock at, um, through the academy at Man City, and like so, it's um, I think he's a, a really excellent um, signing. I think they obviously see, saw something that uh, he could fit into their side, and he's you know he's played a lot of games. He's not been sat on the bench, so they obviously thought he's definitely the player for us, and I think he's he's proven his uh, his worth.
1: Rick I'll come to you next how annoyed are you at uh, Mr. Raul Jimenez because Fulham were bang in this until that happened and then Newcastle then turned it on against the 10 men there was a little bit of debate about this in this in the match of the day studio but I mean for me I thought it was an awful challenge what did, what did you make of it assault by anus
3: basically it was uh, sorry Tom assault assault by anus He he had to go, didn't he? It was was a red card all day long.
1: And And absolute retaliation from what happened before as well, wasn't it?
3: totally. You could still see that the red mist involved. Just as
1: he started to find a bit of form as well. I thought it was so
3: frustrating. Just shoot yourself in the foot, mate. But um, Kudos looks like a good signing for West Ham, considering that he had the name in the frame when United decided to buy Anthony. That's a good bit of business. He's, He's a player, that boy.
1: Yeah, Would you want to quickly touch on that one, as you as you've just mentioned it, um, Thorpe? You're agreeing there. Big win for West Ham over Wolves, getting three. They've had their results have been really odd recently. They got hit for five um, at Fulham, but they beat Spurs as well, and then another handsome win on top of winning their group in the Europa League on Thursday.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Kudos has been been outstanding, got, and Bowen still knocking them in. I mean, let's not. Look, he's one of the top strikers in the league. His, his, his uh, consistency over the last two, three seasons has been absolutely outstanding. Does he go to the Euro though, Pete? I, I think yes, because he gives you something different, doesn't he? He's, he's able to chop in on his left. Obviously, he favours the left. He can play anywhere across the front front line. He can also play as a number ten, you know. And uh, and he, but he's also, you know, he, he can he can do the little dummy onto the right, and he's got a clinical finish like he showed on on Saturday with his right, from a a difficult angle as well, so um, does he go? Yeah, I I, I do believe he goes, No, I think he he's more dangerous than, um, you know, people like Calvert-Lewin and, you know, um, you know, listen, Villa got a great young striker who showed his, you know, who showed a little bit of his um, spiciness by saying, look, somebody was giving me some stick, and I showed him what it was all about, I like that, as a manager, I love that, but I think, listen, you've got Liverpool got a difficult game against West Ham next game. That's not going to be easy. And um uh but listen, they're, they're they're playing some good stuff at the moment, and um Moyes. Why would you want to get rid of Moyes? Let's talk about him going. Why would you do that when you've got this, this sort of like play going? I think he's doing a great job and building a good squad there and something there is, is a real solid Premier Premier League side. What about hey, the yeah.
0: goalkeeper for Aston Go Villa and his little uh fisticuffs at the end. Well, I, I mean, was well, I was just going to
1: ask. I was just going to ask that ver- that very question. So, Brent I I in fact messaged Rick last night because I was watching match of the day too, and I just thought, wow, these players, all of them on both sides were so easy to wind up. And then it all just seemed to get out of control in the in the last 10 minutes. What did you think about it then, Aid?
0: Well, I, I thought it was good comedy really to be to be honest. Uh, I mean, especially when um What's the goalkeeper's name? Martinez. You know yeah, when he him came, and Mope. when he came over, and, and he just sort of, well, he hardly touched him, did he? Really, and the bloke goes down like a sack of spuds, and, and then he wouldn't get up. I mean, it's all all pathetic, really. I thought, but it was quite good viewing, quite good, you know, comedy show on on the on match of the day, for certain. But uh, Villa are looking very dangerous, aren't they, at the moment?
1: Yeah, it was um, it was a strange game, really, because the red card. Probably is what got Villa back into this because there is certain. It certainly looked like they were just starting to run out of ideas a little bit until that happened. So mm. Villa used it to their advantage. But that
3: that red card, in a way, shows exactly how VAR is undermining referees. Referee was so close to that.
1: Was, also, it, was there also another one
3: before it? Was there one that they checked? I'm talking yeah. about the the me one the referee had made a decision so he gets undermined by var who say oh go and have another look at it in other words we think you're wrong and it's one of those ones that you know you you wouldn't have argued it if it had been a straight red called by the referee you wouldn't have argued with it or if it had been a yellow card called by the referee you wouldn't have argued this is this is where var is going wrong because there was no need the only thing they did was undermine the referee himself. Let it go with what he sees during the game. And it was clearly a turning point, turning point in the match. And Villa, who were rapidly becoming the people's choice because they're the most palatable uh, winners of the Premier League this season, out of those contending for it. Mm. And um, yeah, they, they, they did Aston Villa things, you be saying. Good for uh, Watkins for having a go back. So fed up with people going back to their former clubs and being very polite. Somebody behind the goals having a go at him and his family, so he gave them a bit back, and fair play to him for doing that.
0: Good job, Eric, wasn't there? He's never played for Aston Villa, Adrian. No, you're missing the connection. I would like you just being obtuse as usual.
1: <laughs> Tom Bailey, come on, you've got your hand in the air.
2: It might have just been the replay I saw, but I thought that was 100% a straight red card. And so yeah, I completely don't understand. Yeah, but do you think that the
3: referee should on the field should make that decision?
2: Yes, but I think that means that the referee has got to be competent, which, as we have discovered, they're not. I think in this <laughs> instance, the the VAR was actually correct in in calling it back and saying, no, no, you need to look at that again. Because that, that could have been a season ender on Bailey. In fact, I want to give... Bailey credit for staying on his feet because if that had made more contact, he definitely wasn't getting back up. So, um, I think that was actually one of the few times that VAR's actually done things correctly. That there is the problem though, Tom,
1: like you say, because if you know, like VAR intervene and then the referee is then demoted because then he got the decision wrong in the first place, but then everyone's getting stood down every week and then eventually. You just get the rotation of referees come around again. And then it doesn't really make any difference if you punish a referee by saying you're not going to have the next game because by the time the next week comes around, somebody that then got moved down to the lower leagues a few weeks before have then already clawed their way back up again and you just go going round and to round.
3: Taylor, wasn't it? A couple of weeks ago he got suspended because or got demoted because of his poor performance. Then he was doing the next week he was doing the prestige game of the game of the weekend. So it's it's not exactly Consistent. But was that that um incident with Bailey? Was that before he tried to score the old goal from the halfway line?
2: Yeah, that was before, but that was <laughs> impressive as well. That,
3: that, yeah, that was incredible that. <laughs> A good game that game.
1: It was, it was very tasty. And um uh, just another game that was head undoubtedly and head of um Liverpool, Manchester United on Sunday <laughs> in the running <laughs> order. Showing it. Um, We've covered that Dave. Don't bring it <laughs> up again. Arsenal Brighton, Paul Thorpe. Uh, comfortable win, really, for Arsenal. Probably took a little bit longer than they'd hoped uh, to get the goals, but they did. Um, <clears throat> I have it, if I could just talk about it for a moment, because everybody sort of looked at it as very eye-opening when he made the move in the summer. Right up until probably the start of November, people were starting to question what he was offering, but he's just slowly started to come into his own a little bit and is on a little bit of a scoring streak. What do you think? Guilherme? Yeah,
4: yeah I, I think that the he, he, manager could obviously see where he, he fitted in. He wanted some consistency. I don't think he's a bad player at all. And um, I actually think his performances this year have been really, really good. And he's been one of their Underlying stars from for mine. Now he's, he's shipping in with a couple of goals as well.
1: Is he just a um, victim of being one of those players that can play in multiple positions and hasn't really nailed one down? Do you think that's possibly a lot to do with it?
4: Also game time. You know, did he get did he get like masses of game time? You know, not really. And uh, I just think he was labelled. I think he's been he's been labelled for quite some time. It's just taken him a while to get. You know, but you have to take, give give the lad credit. He's just knuckled down, got on with his football. Hasn't said nothing in the, You know, really and. Uh, you know, I'll take my hat off to him. Now you're seeing that he can score goals as well and, um, and, and critical goals as well.
1: Another yellow card for Mikhail Arteta, Rick?
4: No surprise. <laughs> Who
1: would have thought? I think he's on five yellows now, isn't he? Am I right in thinking?
3: What's that for the last week? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Incredible
1: yet. stuff. He ought Incredible to grow stuff. Up. Um, there was just one more game. Well, there was two more games. We'll come on to the other one that that, that we didn't see out at, at the end. But uh, in terms of the Sean Dyche derby, um, Burnley, mm-hmm. Everton. At the start of the season, I think, I think it was yourself that was saying. Forgive me if I'm wrong. That you're a little bit disappointed with Sean Dyche, at, at Everton, and how it had gone last season up up until now, and you thought they might be defensively stronger, but. Has that started to to come through to the forefront now over the last couple of weeks?
0: Yeah, I like Sean Dusch. I think he's uh, he's he's so personable when he comes on the telly. He's, you know, he, he just seems like a really nice bloke. Although you can also detect there is a hard side to him, and clearly that hard side has been maybe active, followed by a little bit of arm around the shoulder. But it's certainly working because you know Everton have made light of the ten point deduction, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? That they have since well, I mean, what you could say, Aid, is that that Man United result, the first one after the um, the points deductions, looking like a really impressive performance.
0: Well, it is on the balance of the games mm. they've had since then, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I don't know whether it, whether it hadn't sunk in or not at that particular point when United played them, but you know, it certainly it was it was a relatively easy victory, I thought, and. Um, but, you know, who who was to expect what came after it? That was always the problem. And it still is, unfortunately, because we don't know what we're going to happen against um, his Villa next, I think, isn't it, Rick? Or is it West Ham? Uh, that's Boxing Day. Oh, it's West Ham then, it must be. So, yeah, you know, yeah. you just don't know what to expect now. And that's that's. and If you like, that's a bit of fun for United supporters because they can sit there expecting one thing and get in totally the other. I hope you know, they don't
3: keep another clean sheet because the backlash for doing that, I just, uh, I'm not sure I can take it. No, no, quite,
0: quite. But no, I, I think Sean Dyche is, is, is a good manager. I like him. Um, seems like a nice guy and he seems to be doing the job. So good luck to him.
1: Tom, in terms of the relegation picture, um, are we now starting to get to a point where it already feels like the, the bottom three are starting to get cut adrift? They're sort of relying on Forrest to continue their freefall.
2: Yeah, it starts to feel like it. I think the bottom two, at least. I think if anyone's going to stay up, it's going to be Luton Um, on pure passion. That's, that's the only thing that's going to keep them going. Because performances are there. The only time that, I mean, I'm trying to find the table. Burnley's only win this season. Sorry, they've got two wins, but they beat Sheffield United. I can't even remember their other win. That's how important it was. Luton, wasn't it? It was at Luton, yeah. Oh, Luton. So, there you go. So, they've only beaten the bottom two sides. And Sheffield United beat... Uh,
3: it was Brentford. last week.
2: Come on. You know. Yeah, Brentford. And they beat someone else. That... Wolves. Wolves. That's it. Um, so, again, Wolves were in a bit of a malaise at the time. I think the bottom two are sorted already. And I think if anyone's going to stay up, it'll be Luton. Um, of course, it's unfortunate they didn't get to finish off their game. But... um I'm sure that'll be sorted at some point in the future. Of course, best wishes to Tom Lockyer. Well, let's let's
1: let's talk let's talk about that now then because it it was really shocking news to see that it comes through on the video printer at the end. As Rick and I were going through the scores on Saturday, that the Bournemouth luton game had been suspended um, due to Tom Lockyer. It, it confirmed now went into cardiac arrest. He did collapse um, in the playoff final, didn't they? But they obviously continued it, and then mm. the, you might have seen on social media the celebrations of him. in in the hospital bed when when he came around and saw that Luton had been promoted. It's quite quite a heartwarming story altogether when you knew that he was okay and that his team obviously went up. But, you know, he's got himself back to to full fitness. But obviously there is still this underlying issue. And the, the statements have come, there's been a couple of statements that have come out from Luton so far. But the latest one I think I've seen is that he is, they're still waiting for the results of things, but they're happy that he's, he's stable. He's up, he's talking, he's with his family. And they just want to, obviously they've asked to respect the privacy of the family's wishes at the moment, which of course um, we're all happy to do. But in terms of how the game and the players, how everyone conducted themselves, Thorpey, the images were quite, were quite emotional. I don't know if you saw them with um, Rob Edwards going around the pitch, yeah. everybody, the Bournemouth fans singing uh, Tom Lockyer's name. Cause mm. It must not be easy as well from a fan's perspective once you're there to actually know what's going on. So, you know, that must come into it a little bit as well if you're actually at the game and you're thinking, well, I don't quite understand what's happening. And obviously then it all unfolded and it just yeah. seemed like it was handled in the best way.
4: Well, absolutely. And, you know, a great club, are not they? But, I mean, Rob Edwards going around, he looked very emotional. And, um, you know, I think the fans, I think everybody just, at that point you just pray Pray that he he stays alive, don't you? Just do um, yeah. you just pray and hope that for his family that he that he gets to to live his life, you know. Because really, you got to realise, you know, football is just a sport. It's just a sport, and it's there to be enjoyed, and it shouldn't cost you your life. And um, you know, and if he has got an underlying problem, I hope they find it out. I hope they sort it, and if it means he can come and resurrect his career because that's happened before with other people, then brilliant if it means that he gets to enjoy his family for, you know, however long. We never know. No, none of us know how long we're going to be on this um, earth. So, you know, I, I just think that he has to reevaluate what he wants out of life as well. And um, hopefully he makes the right decision. and uh, But hopefully, you know, deep down they can find what the problem is, you know, and uh, sort it or just say, look, there is a, there is a little issue here. You know, um, maybe football's uh, n- not your your game for the future, but uh, ultimately we just will all wish him well, he's, he's, him and his family, and um, hope he makes a very, very speedy recovery. And um, uh, and whichever direction his life goes, then then you know, I'll salute him. And uh, he's been a fantastic footballer and also an ambassador for football because remember you know, he's, he's he's done all the leagues, he's done all the leagues, and he's come right the way through. And um, you know he's he's uh, you know he's a tremendous professional.
1: Yeah, from the from the sporting perspective as um, well, Rick. It kind of feels I know, like Thorpey touches on. He, he's absolutely right that it, it doesn't the sporting element doesn't come into it when something like that happens. But from a practical perspective of where the teams find themselves, etc., it's probably it felt fitting in a way that the score was level in term in, in at the time where they were able to abandon the game because obviously if Luton were three 0 up, for example, and then come the end of the season they miss out on. <laughs> On uh, surviving the Premier League or something, and then you know that it, that game's not going to affect anything. If you see what I mean. Uh, but I
3: think the whole thing was uh, was handled really well on the case on, on the actual day in question. I mean, it's a horrible thing. I think Thorpe's hit the nail on the head. You know, it's about perspective, isn't it? It's, we're talking about a bloke's life here. Yeah. The points don't come into it, but it was convenient that it's one or one. They they yeah. play the whole game. Because then you go down the line. I would imagine if it had been a three nil to one side or the other, then you'd say, "All right, well then we'll we'll re- we'll replay it, but we'll play it from that point at that score."
4: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah that, absolutely. Have a nice, clean situation and just say we'll start, and it'll be it will be an emotional occasion. I would imagine whenever they reschedule that game. I mean, I felt for I felt for Rob Edwards. He looked like you know there was no way the game could have gone on just from his point of view. He was. He, he was he was in a bad way, but then again, yeah. I suppose as a manager, you would feel responsible because the situation's happened before. You put Tom Lockyer back in that situation again. I know it's his choice, but I would be very surprised if it having happened twice now that there's there's any way that he can carry on as a professional athlete. Simply, be, but I don't know what the diagnosis is, but it, I would be surprised if he can carry on again. But I just hope that he's he's all right and then whatever decision is made is the right one for him but i think football it gets knocked an awful lot and there's a lot of tribalism and there's a lot of nonsense going around particularly about the game that we all were invested in this weekend and sometimes things go beyond the pale and some it's just nice to see a situation or reassuring should i say to have a situation like that and people to realize that the most important thing at the end of the day is that this chap gets to go back to his family and carry on doing what he's doing what he's doing that's the most important thing
1: oh Thorpe, you've really annoyed me now by putting your hand Sorry. up because I thought that was a lovely line to finish on <laughs> it, Yeah, no, I,
4: I, absolutely, absolutely it was so no problems so I was just all I was going to say is that you know Steve rutter uh, you know as said before on our podcast that you know all the players they go through a, a ritual of like their their blood to take and their oxygen levels and yeah. So, so it's it's a it's a shame that something like this isn't picked up before. Maybe players need to be, um, you know, uh, looked at more throughout the season just, just to see if they're still
3: You know, sorry, it's probably just a different test he needs. You know, he's whatever yeah. the underlying problem is hasn't been picked up. by no, the ab- one.
4: Absolutely, because these clubs do go through the You know, they, these these they lads are like racehorses, like you know, they are really at the top end of fitness and. And all the checks are are done r- r- rigorously, like so. You know, it's like you say, it's just probably something freaky. But um, yeah, absolutely, a, a great place to finish.
1: Right, boys. That is the end of tonight's offering. You've all done well. We were all intact, and we're ready to tell the tale. So, uh,
3: Tom Bailey, smiling.
1: <laughs> Tom Bailey, we'll start with you. Thank you very much for for taking the time for speaking to us. And I hope you have a much happier week, my friend
2: fingers crossed we can but hope it can only go up exactly <laughs>
1: paul thorpe thank you very much for joining us and pleasure as, pleasure as always
4: pleasure as always
1: Brick hyatt thank you very much indeed for joining us uh th- you're more than welcome and uh i would just
3: like to say thank you to our favorite saudi Arabian team for putting another picture of uh, they must have won because there was another picture of jason tindall celebrating at the end of the game which is
0: something we all love to see <laughs>
1: And it's a very good night from myself, Dave Pryor. AD Hopper, over to you.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening to Three Valleys Radio's football bloody hell. Join us again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>